look, your tissues were used to this much volume and you all of a sudden asked it to do this much. And it's that deficit between what you asked it to do and what it was ready for that led to things getting flared up. Now, some of your technique can have made that tissue be asked to do a little bit more or the volume or the intensity, whatever it was. There are a lot of factors that can play into why we asked it this much, but really it's all about figuring out how we close that deficit down. So there's a lot of different levers we can pull to close that down. Which The age-old question, does lifting technique matter? Well, today we had Dr. Zach Long on the podcast. He majored in sport and exercise science, then went on to do physical therapy. You may know him as the barbell physio. He helps weekend warriors to Olympic athletes lift. We covered when does it matter, why we might change someone's technique, but more importantly, what's our mindset? What are we looking for? And how would we change someone's technique? We then went on to the differences in performance, pain, and injury. And then I think my favorite part is what words do we use when we're doing this to put our patients in the right mindset? This was a wonderful wrap of all things technique. Please enjoy this episode. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Zach, and thank you for your time today. Excited to be here. We're going to talk about technique. We'll dig into squats, maybe some deadlifting at some point. We were going to start with the age-old question, does squat technique matter to you? You know, the everyday person comes in to your facility. Are you really eyeballing their technique and looking at things? And how do you approach that? Yeah, so I'm going to look at their technique, but there's there's always going to be a scale of things. It's not black and white. There's a lot of gray in between that. So do I demand movement perfection for somebody that just needs to generally get more fit and build overall strength? No, I do not demand perfection, but I always want to be moving slightly towards something being better according to what our current beliefs are around best technique. And there's a lot of different things that can go into that. But really, I think for the the majority of people, they just need to get fitter and stronger. And as long as, you know, I'm not looking at something and it's just like atrocious making your stomach curl, for the most part, I let people start exercising and they just put little pieces of technique refinement on top of that. So I had a great discussion when I was teaching a course this past weekend with somebody talking about, you know, what what about when the train wreck squat shows up? The person that's never lifted before, they're showing up to a CrossFit class, or they're showing up into your clinic. You want to start implementing squats, but as they squat down, their knees go into valgus, their back rounds. It's just the most atrocious squat you ever see. What do you do? Like I give them one cue to work on that will clean that up and make it 33% better. And then we put a little bit of load on it. But early on in that person's loading experience, are we going to be putting 225 on their back? Where if they're in suboptimal position, which might create some issues, are they going to be lifting that heavy below? No, they're going to be hitting like a 15 pound goblet squat if they've never done anything before, a 35 pound goblet squat and their body is going to be fine and it's not going to overload any tissues. So they're working out at that subpar technique with a light load. And, you know, a week later, two weeks later, we follow up, I throw in another cue or another corrective exercise on that. And I'm really careful about how I word those things because we're really bad about, you know, saying like, oh, I don't want you rounding your back. Like you might blow your back up. I might encourage them to change some things, but we have to be very careful about how we say that. So that's um, about as middle ground of an answer as I think I can give you there. I like it because we need an example. So I think that's a wonderful example to use and we'll refer back to it. 
but you're probably you're speaking specifically to the changes we've made as health professionals. So instead of someone coming in and giving maybe five cues to get it to look like the textbook squat, you're giving one cue, which is digestible, easy. You can monitor that. You can monitor the effect of that and the impact of that on that person. So that's a really nice thing. And the other spectrum I think you spoke to is like pink flags. So encouraging movement rather than everything's bad, knees are going in, feet are going in, back is rounded. I think these are the practical changes we need to talk about more. What I wanted to dig into is let's say it's for performance. So let's say that example starts lifting more heavier weights or volume or intensity. Do you start to become more aware of technique if their knees are still going in or are you starting to think, no, that's how this person moves. They're probably going to adapt to that. How do you break that discussion down? More aware of technique for sure, but that is also a very different discussion. So mm-hmm. if we're talking about knee valgus, you know, knee valgus has in a lot of cases been associated with different things of knee pain, and that certainly can be debatable as well. But if we look at somebody that's training for purely a technique or performance-based spectrum, if you go look at any elite Olympic weightlifter out there, you're going to see that about 90% of them, as they squat and they come out of the bottom of the squat, you'll actually see their knees go into a little valgus and then kick back up. They get what we call a little bit of an adductor whip. So they do what a lot of us would consider a movement fault that may plus put, excuse me, may place a little bit more stress on the knees. But you know, I, for instance, I've, I've worked with a number of national champion weightlifters. When they come in and I see that fault, do I change that fault? No, that's a national champion. They own the American record in you know the, the snatch. And I, I see that that fault in quotation marks. It's that's not something I'm going to touch in that individual because I'm able to look at what is that fault possibly doing for that person. Mm. When we go into a little bit of a knee valgus position, we're getting a little stretch reflex on the glutes. When we go into that valgus position, maybe it's because when we squat super deep. The adductor magnus is a super important hip extensor. So it's going to extend the hip. It's also going to create a little bit of inward movement of the knees as the, the legs come into a little valgus. So it's, yes, I pay attention to the technique, but it don't demand perfection there as well. Yeah. yeah. It's the middle ground of people where it's kind of interesting to have that discussion, I think, more of. Like, I, I'm not a high-level athlete. Hmm. Do I continue to be squatting with my, my knees going to valgus or my back rounding underweight? I think I'd probably rather be a little bit more in neutral positions for both of those. And that doesn't mean like, you know, absolutely no movement in either direction of that. But I think a lot of times we do tend to see some injuries happen when there's a lot of load placed on tissues at in range. Hmm. I think fundamentally that's what it comes down to. And I'm not really well read in this area. So maybe you can lend me some of your knowledge. Is that, do we actually have evidence that says, if you are sticking to neutral zones, and I'm, I am aware that the neutral zone is much bigger than we originally thought, mm-hmm. if you're somewhere in neutral, is there either a performance benefit or an injury benefit, or is that just a gut feeling we have? Like, if I can stay in this range, it's probably a little safer than this end range. Yeah, I think right now it's more of like a, it's definitely more of like an expert opinion. Mm. That's what so many high-level athletes high-level strength and conditioning coaches believe is optimal positioning. The only thing we do know from the research is, you know, um, and forgive me, I can't remember the authors, but systematic review came out last year on lumbar spine flexion, looking at what happens with loaded lumbar spine flexion. And they said that there was no association of increased injuries when we load the spine inflection. 
Yeah. Well, the heaviest weight that was examined in that study, I think was 12 pounds or 12 kilograms. I can't remember which, but like that's certainly very, very far away from what, you know, a, a moderate level athlete like myself is lifting or elite athletes are lifting. So we know that light loads at end range don't overload tissues, don't present increased risk of injury, but really we don't know what happens after that right now in terms of research specific answers to that. So everyone yeah. that's out there giving their own answers is, is giving their opinion and they all pretty much have really good theories behind their opinion one way or another. I tend to say, well, what's what, where are the majority of people, where have they been for a long time? And what do I see clinically? Clinically, I see that those people that do different movements where their, their back is loaded to in range under a lot of load. Those are people that I do tend to see on average a little bit more in the clinic dealing with certain things. But I'm certainly open to this idea is changing long term. If I get smacked in the face with a research study that proves otherwise, or a couple of research studies that prove otherwise, I, I think you hit on something there. Though also was you mentioned the the rate of change. So maybe that's the principle, right? Which is even in the first example, if they're starting with five kilos, ten kilos, fifteen kilos, there's a slow progression. Potentially, is the rate of change the most important thing? Whether you're in extreme knee valgus or you're in a neutral knee, would the best evidence suggest it's the rate of change and the adaptation process? What are your thoughts on that? Possibly. Hmm. What, what I tend to think is that if we're encouraging somebody to stay like neutral-ish spine, understanding that, that it doesn't stay perfectly neutral, like we talked about a second ago, they are at least going to stay highly, highly active in like their their paraspinal musculature. They're going to be really fighting to avoid in range and being having the load solely on passive structures. And so even if they get to 80, 90% of that flexion, if they're trying to maintain a neutral, they're not solely loading passive tissues. So a great example of that is like um, strongman doing like an Atlas stone lift. Their spine is going to be very rounded, but that musculature is very, very much activated. That would be different if we're just letting everything flop forward and letting like the ligaments lift the weight up as the legs kind of drive up. I think we, most people would probably agree that we don't want it to be in range, completely passive loading on that at maximal loads. I think the cue of staying neutral is what's going to keep people staying pretty active there. Do you think that the adaptation is potentially faster in those neutral zones? Is it harder to adapt when we're in end ranges? And maybe maybe there's something in that. That's just a thought. I, I have no readings on that. That would be something that I think would be plausible. But yeah, I for sure don't know of any research that would say that, yeah. that those tissues. I mean, if we go to, you know, McGill's stuff is going to say that, you know, the, the tissues of the spine, the, the passive tissues don't adapt as much. Yeah. Uh, or that's at least what he's going to say. Mm. I haven't dove deep enough into all of his research to say for sure, but he always talks about how Jefferson curls are bad because those tissues don't adapt. But certainly you see a lot of people doing some pretty impressive Jefferson curls, and I use them clinically all the time yeah. to help people out. And it, it clinically works really well for helping people get out of pain. Yeah, I like that. So I could definitely see passive stuff mm. remodeling a little bit slower than things like muscles and tendons. It makes but sense. That's my theory. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I lean too. And it's the muscles will still adapt in that position. I, I kind of think, would it be harder for them to adapt in that position or do they just adapt at the same rate? The, you just have this added thing of the passive structures are under more pressure now. Mm -hmm. hmm. Let's flip it to pain and injury. So someone, that first example again, where they, they get a little bit of pain or they've got a little bit of injury in a squat, what 
what do you do there? Are you more likely to give them rest and keep their technique the same or will you play with their technique, keep them squatting, but it, it now looks different? Yeah, I'm significantly more likely to adjust somebody's technique mm. or the variation of squat they're doing to keep them exercising. Uh, I believe the world has an issue of lack of fitness. And I believe that fitness and health are the exact same thing. Fitter human beings tend to be healthier human beings. So I don't want an injury to slow somebody down from working on their overall fitness. I mean, we're recording this when half of the world's still in like COVID lockdowns. We need to get away from telling people to take rest from exercise because the people that are dying right now from COVID are the people that aren't exercising enough. Mm. And so that's not let somebody's patellofemoral pain or quad tendinopathy be the reason that we at all discourage exercise in any bit. Yeah. So I'm much more likely to take somebody's squat and, you know, let's say they're having some knee pain and that knee pain is brought on when their knees go over toes. I, I most of my athletes squat with knees over toes and I'm hundred percent fine with that. I think it's for most people, the best technique is to go knees over toes, but if they're having knee pain, I might encourage them to sit back in their squat more to not let those knees go forward. But I'm really, really careful with how I word that. And they'll, they're usually annoyed when they leave the clinic because I've told them five times, this is a very temporary modification. Like yeah. We're not going to continue this for the rest of your lifting career. We're going to do this over the next four to eight weeks as we calm this knee flare up down and actually get to the root cause of whatever tissue it was that got overloaded. And that's there's in what you just said is the art, I think, of what we do. The true art of what we do is we can, in changing their technique so they can continue to do it, I, I tend to drop the weight or drop the volume a little bit. Is that is that something you do? Drop the weight, drop the volume, hmm. uh, try different variations, adjust the technique a little bit. There's a lot of different levers we can pull here. And I think a lot of that just comes down to when we're subjectively looking at what's happened in that individual's training hmm. over the last few months. And we look at what's going on with their technique specifically too. All of those things will kind of get us a little bit more pinpointed towards where they need to go. So yeah. myself, for example, I'm a super, I have incredible ankle mobility. So when I squat, my knees are super far over my toes. If I see that in an athlete, that so far over toes squat, that's really easy. Usually I'm going to think, all right, I can back them down from that really easily and won't have any issue there. On the flip side, if I see somebody that comes in and they're, they're dealing with knee pain and they just did like a small off squat cycle where they're lifting high volume, high intensity, three days a week of squats then that subjective thing that they told me leads me a little bit more towards let's adjust the volume of what they're doing more so than their technique. Like they just <laughs> decided to bash their head into the wall by doing a small squat cycle when they've only been squatting, you know, once a week, cause they're like a general crossfitter that doesn't go that heavy that frequently on the usual. I think that's, and again, we'll go back to Twitter. These contextual examples are really helpful. I think particularly if you're a young health, health professional, it's what we do when we change someone's technique. And the second part is what we say. So you, you kept repeating, this is a temporary modification. The other thought is that there's also nothing wrong with how you were squatting. And, you know, we probably will go back to that. So it's, it's very hard for patients not to take away the wrong message, even if we repeat that. Like it's natural for us to think if Zach's asking me to squat this way, was there something wrong with the way I was squatting? Do you have any other? communication tips or verbiage you use to help with that? So a lot of times I talk to patients and then I just like use this little hand thing where I say, look, look, your tissues were used to this much volume 
and you all of a sudden asked it to do this much. Yeah. And it's that deficit between what you asked it to do and what it was ready for that led to things getting flared up. Now, some of your technique can have made that tissue be asked to do a little bit more yep. or the volume or the intensity, whatever it was. There are a lot of factors that can play into why we asked it this much, but really it's all about figuring out how we close that deficit down, which there's a lot of different levers we can pull to close yep. that down, which you know doesn't even cover sleep and nutrition and other recovery things we're still staying on like training volume and and movement pattern stuff yeah yeah i love it zach uh we're out of time but thank you for your time and and if you really like what zach covered today you can follow him at the barbell physio i, I really enjoyed the, the practical examples and the contextual examples zach i think that's where it lies but we can't be as sexy as saying right or wrong anymore so it doesn't get followers on twitter yeah that's it thank you so much for your roundup and the time today mate enjoyed it Thank you.